Welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast, a fun and safe space where we talk all things mental health. I am your host, Rachel Cove. I'm an entrepreneur, author, mother, and a professional in the field of mental health and addiction for the last 14 years. I'm your co-host, Arthur Mogilevsky, business entrepreneur, girl dad, animal activist, and owner of AM Healthcare. This is the Got Mental Health Podcast, a fun and safe space where we talk all things mental health. We interview experts, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of mental health. Our goal is to educate, inspire, and empower people to take care of their mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Join us weekly as we talk all things mental health. Follow us wherever you go to listen to your podcast. And don't forget to rate and review as it really supports our show. Welcome back to the Got Mental Health Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Cove, along with my co-host, Arthur Mogolevsky. Mogolevsky, Rachel. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days, we'll get it. We'll get it. I am so thrilled to have Alan Cardoza on the show, who's always been a mentor and teacher for me, especially in the world of radio and podcasts. So I'm so excited to have you here. It's my pleasure. Alan is a licensed international detective and the founder of West Shield Adolescent Services and West Shield Investigations. Between these two companies, he successfully located, returned, and or transported thousands of runaway or at-risk youth to homes, hospitals, and schools for over 40 years. Alan is the past president of the World Association of Detectives and has traveled the world returning abducted children to their custodial parents or guardians and has broken up numerous human trafficking rings. Through his speeches, articles, and ebook Runaway in America, Alan offers solutions for parents and teens and sheds and sheds light on the connection between runaway teens and human trafficking. And I've just learned that you are now the vice president of international business development for one of the most well-respected investigation companies in the world, Conflict International. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big deal. Yes, it is. Welcome to the show, All Alan. Right. Well, it's so good to see you. I mean, I, uh, I love when we get a chance to spend time together, and I, I feel like when COVID hit, we didn't get that that kind of time that we would normally get. So I'm so glad that we're here. I'm so glad we're here. And I feel like... You said something <laughs> yesterday, which yeah. was pretty funny about you. Mm-hmm. Who do you think he yeah. is? Are you the real Liam Neeson? Like you're like the real life <laughs> Liam Neeson. Are you Neeson. the real life? Real life. You, you know, actually, there's a great story with that. Is that when doing my show, we were across the hall from where they uh, the uh, they were doing the setup and everything for Taken when when they were just oh, doing wow. the original stuff. Yeah, and so I popped in to talk to him. I go so tell me about this or what you're doing and stuff. And so they started talking about it and then they asked about me and they're like, oh my God, I think you really did what we're doing. Right. So it was great. So I got to hang out with them a little bit. After the movie came out, I had 22 people contact me and say, was that based on you? That's said, funny. No, it wasn't. But it was, it was one of the movies that was actually done better than a lot of other movies that have been done that involve that type of thing because there's a lot of little things that they did that people wouldn't normally think about like the way that the guy goes to the airport and he's this good-looking guy and he talks to the girls and he befriends them rather than what a lot of people think is well somebody just gets grabbed off the street you know they just put him in a you know in a bag and throw him in a car no it's not like that it's closer to what they did in that movie Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's just get right into it okay. because you're bringing that up. And I think this is a subject that is really important for people to listen to. Mm -hmm. I think that it's an injustice to our children, to the world, if we remain ignorant to what's happening in this world. And, you know, I have a five-year-old kid and he likes to live in this, in, in his reality where everything is about happiness and love mm -hmm. and, and rainbows and sunshine. Mm -hmm. And whilst I want him to maintain that type of uh, joy and happiness, I also think I have to prepare him for the ugliness that can exist in the world. You're absolutely right. And it's a balance because you don't want to make them fearful of everybody. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they do need to know that there are some people out there that are that are going to try to do some strange things. That's fascinating. First of all, I want to preface this by saying I am extremely excited about this interview. As, as interesting, as deep and as dark and as, as scary as this conversation can be, how does it relate to mental health? And I mean, for me, right away, you can see how this affects the families, how it affects the children, how it affects the community. And it's so deep and you've been doing this for so long. What do you see are the kind of the, the basic, or not the basic, but like the systemic issues within family systems that can create these types of scenarios? Do you, have you found over the years that there's a common thread, something that can lead to that? Um, that if within mm -hmm. the cases that you worked in? Actually, there is a common thread, and it's lack of communication. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I was speaking before a group of psychiatrists in Washington, D.C., and there was a similar question. They said, if there is one common thread between a lot of these cases that you're getting, what is it? And I said, absentee father. Wow. And, and everybody kind of stopped for a minute, and I <clears> said, not necessarily always physically absent, mm. but if you are also mentally absent. I said so many of the young people that I end up working with uh, that have been exploited by people, uh, they talk about having no relationship with their father. And, and I would ask them, well, what does your father do for a living? I don't know, he goes to a building. Hmm. You know, there's no communication in that family. So now when this young person is 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 out on the street or they're on their way to school or whatever they're doing and somebody approaches them they don't really have that sort of thing to talk about you know with well you know when I talked to my dad he said maybe I shouldn't be doing this and these people act like they're your family they act like mm. they're going to give you so they'll they know to ask questions about don't you hate when parents put rules on you well yeah if, if you're 12 years old you probably do hate that and just to, just to give the audience clarity, you're speaking about the people who do the kidnapping, the, the yes. perpetrators. Yes. So they often go into the world disguising themselves as very friendly, outgoing, extroverted yes. people. That's really scary. I know. And, and, and so, again, you're saying that a lot of the children who have been kidnapped, the common theme is that there's a lack of communication and a lack of... A father figure in their life yes yeah in many cases because I, you know I'm dealing more with with boys now when, when we're dealing with girls we have female agents with us and the girls are usually the ones that are that are bonding more with the female agent when when I'm involved in a case it's usually it's a male that we're that we're looking for because oftentimes we're looking for somebody who's missing and and so we're getting all the information from the family they might have started out running away so they may have had a disagreement at home. And they go, that's it, I'm out of here. But once they get out there, 
unfortunately, there are predators that are going to see them as a runaway and see them as an asset to bring them into their little family. That's unbelievable. I love the fact that you stated it's not about physical, only physical presence. It's also about emotional and mental presence with the child, right? Because yeah. you can have a lot of fathers listening to this podcast saying, well, I'm there, right? I'm, I go to work. I provide to the family. I'm not running away from this difficult situation or whatever the situation they see it as. Um, but being connected with your child and being truthful and honest. There was this, um, there was this challenge, my wife turned it on randomly and we got, I got sucked into it and I just started crying like crazy because of it. It was called a stranger danger challenge. Have you mm -hmm. ever seen that? Oh yeah. Uh, where different types of families were sitting in together and they were different types of parenting styles and they were watching as their parenting styles unfolded on their children while they were playing in a park. And obviously an actor would come up and he would pretend that he had some puppies in his car. Right. And based off of that parenting style, the children's would react. Do you, do you find that there are set parenting styles that work better than others that you've seen? Obviously, the connection and whatnot. But and can you kind of go into that a little bit? I think if we're talking about set parenting styles, I think it's one is the communication. The other is where both parents are on the same page. Mm. One of the biggest problems, and because we come from a culture that has so much divorce, when you get the two parents that are more concerned with doing it their way mm -hmm. than actually focusing on what's best for the child, it makes it easier for children to then start sort of playing one parent off the other a little bit and not really taking to any one style. They're just thinking that part of their job is to just manipulate people to get what you want. Uh, so again, it's one is just keep communicating honestly with your child. And the second thing is work together. Mm. A lot of the groups that I facilitate, I deal with people who grew up in homes where the parents were very neglectful emotionally. And it's a subject I, I teach a lot about is how do we communicate and how do we essentially create a safe environment to be honest about how I'm feeling. And <clears throat> actually this week I was, I was working in a group and it was an all male group and we were looking at the relationship between father and son. And back in the old days, not too long ago, to be a good father meant I'm going to work right, mm -hmm. and I'm going to provide. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna go to work, come home, sit on my couch, open a beer, and I did my job for the day. And as a society, that was what it meant to be a good father. And there was, but there was no emotional attunement with the child. Right. And so yeah. I hear this all the time from my clients. Oh, well, my parents were good parents. Oh, my dad was a good dad and my mom was a good mom. And I, and I tell them, this isn't about labeling your parents. This isn't about saying they were good or bad. This is about asking, what did I learn from my relationship with them? What did I learn from the dynamics? How was I impacted mm -hmm. by having a dad come home who you obviously love? You're loyal to your parents. There's oxytocin as soon mm -hmm. as you're born to bond you guys. But was there curiosity? Was there questioning going on? And I think that their children are learning so much that if their parents are asking them questions, they're naturally going, oh, questions are normal. Mm -hmm. I should ask yeah, questions. Exactly. Yeah, and in fact, and ask questions that don't have a yes or no answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, that, and I did it with my kids, and it was not 
did you have a good day at school? It would be more like, what was the most interesting thing you did today at school? Okay, that's not a, you can't give them a yes or no answer. So that's some of the ways in which parents can continue to interact. And those answers, what they think was interesting, and maybe the next day it was, what was the most challenging thing that you had? Now you know what's challenging to your child and you know what's interesting to your child. So you're gaining information at the same time that they're learning more about either asking or answering questions. Do you think that if children were taught to trust their feelings and guts more, rather than having their realities denied by their parents, that if there was a potential perpetrator on the street, they would naturally feel that in their bodies? Like Absolutely. You, interesting. Absolutely. And I think, and it's another great thing about communicating with your child. You could communicate to them, you have this gut feeling, mm. you know, and if you're constantly talking to them about, how do you feel about this? Okay, they're gonna start trusting their feelings because you're honoring the fact that you're even asking. So yeah, I completely agree. Well, and it's, it's not only just asking, it's also giving room even if you disagree or agree with them, to give them the space to be able to feel yes. free to say that, right? Yes. Like my daughter would come up and say, I'm angry. Okay, I understand. And it's really furthering that conversation with follow-up questions. What made you angry? Well, how can I help you so that you don't exactly. get to this place again, right? And so feeling comfortable with those that emotional intelligence. I know you're huge on that with mm-hmm. your son, and he expresses that. And partially because of you, I, in a lot of ways, I have those conversations with my child as well, where it's not, how was your day? Oh, it was good. Wonderful. Like if I had, if I went to my wife and said, how was your day? It was great. Thanks. And then I go on my phone. You wouldn't it, be married. I would, I would, you know, the couch <laughs> yeah. would have to be a very comfortable couch. Yeah. And so it's really about being more and more engaging with and being interested in, right? Like I'll give you a perfect example. My daughter has these after school classes and uh, yesterday was Lego day. And so mm-hmm. it's not like, how was Lego day? It's like, oh, well, what'd you build? And we got excited. It's like, well, you want, let's replicate that at home because we have a ton of Legos, right? So it's, I think, because the listeners are thinking like, okay, well, I have a child. I'm scared, you know, whatever, uh, that this can happen to me. What can I do to prevent that? What can I do that so that this doesn't exist? Do I need to shelter my child and not take him to the playground ever? Or do I have to play with them while they're at the playground? Or can I just sit? A lot of it is really just engaging and having a really deep relationship with the child. Yeah. So... Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you brought up the yes or no questions. I yeah. recently have really tried to ask very specific questions with my son. And <clears throat> you know, like yesterday actually, I I asked him, I think it was like three or four questions. And I said, "Hey bud, did you have any moments today where you felt happy? Did you have any moments where you felt mm-hmm. overwhelmed?" Did you have any moments where you felt sad? Did you have any moments where you felt frustrated? And his first response was, yeah, I felt frustrated earlier when I couldn't put my shirt on the way I wanted to put it on. Mm -hmm. So he's identifying a language at a very important and developmental age, and it becomes their foundation. I I think where a lot of parents are misinformed is they're, oh, he's a kid. He doesn't know. Right. Mm. Bullshit. (laughs) They know more than us. Exactly. So when it comes to, um, I'm doing a segue here a little Mm -hmm. bit, how many of your clients now that you work with are, 
it's so hard to even say the word kidnapped because it's it's a real reality that you're dealing with and yet it's it's so it's so sad and terrifying and overwhelming to just speak to so the fact that families are dealing with this is just it's so beyond tragic um but how many of these children teens are meeting these people on social media or on online Mm -hmm. platforms well, it's a really good question because more and more. So if you would have asked me this question 30 years ago, you know, it would have been like 1%, you know, and you now 50%, you know, where there is some sort of contact. Either they have, in some cases, they're talking them into mm. taking off. And, and again, it's people think of kidnapping. It's not so much they're going to pull up with a white van and reach in and, you know, reach out, grab you, pull you into the van and take off. It's more that they're going to contact you over the Internet and they're going to talk about things that you have in common. Mm. And then eventually, well, why don't we meet? Wow, we, we like all the same things. Why don't we meet? And so they're, they're bringing them kind of into their world. And then it, if, if it's drugs or whatever it is, they're bringing them in and then eventually... Well, yeah, parents don't know anything. You're better off with us. So it isn't that the idea of kidnapping as much as it is persuasion and bringing somebody in. So what's a typical age range you're looking at right now? Obviously, it can go as low as you know infancy to, but what is the age range you're looking at, especially when it's related to social media and, and the internet? Most of the cases that we get involved in are more um, teens, tweens, and young adults. Mm. And with young adults, oftentimes it's, though they've turned 18, I'm leaving the house, and they get involved with drugs or with people that have them now committing crimes. Mm. And now they're embarrassed to go back home mm. because they don't want to go back home and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a criminal now, or you know, I, I have this drug addiction. Mm. And they end up living, I mean, we're doing this show from Los Angeles, and on my way here, how many homeless encampments did I see? Right. We've got a case going on right now where we're looking for a young man in one of these homeless encampments. Yeah. The ages range. If we were talking about in other countries, it starts much younger. Mm. Wow. And when you are doing this work, are you, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this. What? If I'm like ruining your cover, but how do you do the work? Do you go in there pretending to be someone else? I mean, you can't go. Should I not even ask that? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. A, that's a great question. No, yeah. I think we're leading the yeah. breadcrumbs to the. Well, it's 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 a great question, and uh, I'm now to that stage in life to where I'm usually not the undercover person. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's why I can go on a show like this. That's why it's okay if people see my face. I'm not the undercover guy. Right. But to give you an example, um, some years ago when I did, I uh, we were trying to find somebody. This was after Hurricane Katrina. And somebody had had stolen the children, and they were running with that group. And so I went in as a movie producer, and I was doing a movie on on ways to help and things like this. You know, how can we help these people that end up in these situations and stuff? And what I said was, I had done one over here, but I hadn't gotten the names of everybody because a lot of them gave their one-word names that they use when they start hanging out in some of these groups. You know, in a homeless encampment, they don't give their full name. You know, Mm -hmm. they go by different names. And I said, but, you know, I'm now in trouble because I didn't get these papers signed. So I have one here called Sunshine, another one called Papa Bear, and different things like this. You guys know who these are? Because I can't 
put my movie out until I get the right one. And they go, oh, well, they were here, but they left, and they've now gone to Florida mm. with a group of people that went to Florida. Okay, now I'm on my way to Florida. So, um, yes, we do come in and pretend to be different things to allow us to get information out of people. What is your mental health and, and self-care look like? Because this is a very dark and deep, like I'm getting chills just thinking about the scenes and the scenarios and the things that you've probably seen. How do you deal with this situation yourself personally? It's a great question and, and two thoughts come to mind. One is, is that um, I used to be an instructor for the Crisis Prevention Institute. Mm. And one of the things that I did for my employees was we went through not only how you're going to therapeutically help somebody else, but we're gonna go through how we're going to go into therapeutic rapport afterwards with your own family, mm. okay? Because you can't bring all of this and right. go home to your family. Um, you know, eventually it's gonna eat you up. So yes, there are very, very specific and very good ways to be able to, to work with yourself and or to have the other people you're working with support you through things. So yes, it's, but it's a great question. The second point that I have is, is that on the returning of parentally abducted children, mm. I go on about a three month high after returning a child. Uh, I can think that's of, so, I can, that's yeah. So emotional. yeah. Well, and, and you know, I can think of a lot of them, but I think of one to where um, uh, the mother had custody here in the United States, the father took the child to a Middle Eastern country where they don't, in that particular situation, that particular family or group doesn't treat women that well, mm. and, or girls. And getting her out of that situation, putting her back in the arms of her mother, Wow! so it's like a three month high. So every other thing that I'm doing that's, that's sort of affecting me, mm. when you succeed on something like that, you realize it, it was all worth it. It goes back to another question, which you kind of answered. How did you get into this in the first place? And you know, why, what interested you in this space? My family was in construction. They were in roofing. Mm. And I fell off of a roof at 19 years old. I herniated two discs in my back and realized that I was not going to be doing that job. Mm. That was not going to work for me. And at the same time, I was in college. I was taking law classes. So I didn't really expect that I was going to be a roofer forever but it was gonna get me through for a while. I now knew that I couldn't do that. And uh, I was laid up for about six weeks and I was doing my own laundry and I found a business card of a private investigator. And I went, that's it? I'm gonna be a private investigator. <laughs> and I called that guy and he said, I work alone. What? I said, but you don't understand. I can help you, mm -hmm. you know, I'm young and I can do all these things. And he goes, I work alone, but I'll, I'll I'll connect you with somebody. So he connected me with a person who was my mentor, which was Walt Swanitzer. And at 19 years old, I sat down in his office and uh, listened to everything that he said. And at the end, he said, I need a 19-year-old kid like I need another hole in my head. Goodbye. <laughs> and he dismissed me. But what I heard him say in that conversation was the reason he wouldn't hire a 19-year-old is because you don't have enough patience mm -hmm. to do this job. Mm -hmm. So for about a week after that, I showed up in his <coughs> office and sat there and talked with his secretary. And he would walk in the office and he would look at her, he would look at me, he'd look back at her and go, and he'd go in his office and shut the door. And I'd sit there for about another hour and then I'd go home. And I did it every day. 
and finally he came out and he says to her, he goes, look, we just got a location on this vehicle. He, they also did repossessions besides investigation. He goes, get me George. George is on some other case. Okay, get me Brett. No, he's not available either. Get me Norm. No, he's not available. And he looks at me and he looks at her and he goes, you ever repossessed a car? I said, yes, sir. I hadn't. And uh, he goes, okay. Tells her, all right, give it to him. So they give me this assignment. I look at it and I go, okay. It was in Pomona. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. I drive straight to Pomona, see the car, contact the towing company. We pull up, we hook up, they start towing it out, and this guy runs out of the house, and I'm holding the paperwork. I said, sir, this is a legal repossession. You need to stay back. And he goes, no, I need to take that paper and shove it up your ass when I catch you. So I turned around and I ran. I jumped on the back of the tow truck. They took me to my car, went all the way back to Walt, went in, so proud, handing the paperwork, assignment done, sir. And he goes, you're not very bright, are you? I, I don't understand, sir, I, I, I just did the job. He goes, it's the middle of the damn day. <laughs> Why didn't you wait till night? And I said, well, there was uh, notes in the file that uh, said that they'd called some nearbys and they thought that he worked at night, so I didn't think it would work out. And he looked at her and he said, this is either gonna be one of the best decisions I've ever made or the worst, you're hired. <laughs> that was my first case. Wow. Wow. So before getting into this, did you, I mean, were there fears? Were there, I mean, this is a really intense, overwhelming and traumatizing job. You know, I was 19 years old and what I knew about investigation was what we see on TV. So mm -hmm. I thought it was exciting. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be Magnum PI or, you know, or I'm going to be Rockford or, you know, whatever. And mm -hmm. actually somebody asked me one time, they said, you're just like Rockford. And I said, yeah, but I don't get beat up every week. <laughs> But how much of the job is dangerous? It can be very dangerous. Um, but I think that if you, if you go about it correctly, and I, maybe I've just been fortunate, maybe I'm just you know, living the right life or whatever, that um, when situations have become a little out of hand, we've made some of the right decisions. Um, yeah, it's... Um, Another thought that I had on that idea of being dangerous is that someone you know, which is Logan Clark, yeah. um, Logan and I were on a case, uh, and we were both undercover, and we were in a bar. And we're trying to get information from people in this bar. And whatever our cover was, it wasn't that either one of us was an actor. And all of a sudden, Logan glances up, and a TV show comes on, and he's in it. Oh, my oh God. God. Like that. Timing. Yeah, and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, they're not going to believe we're whatever we were at that time. And so Logan immediately looks at the bartender and goes, the game, the game. you got to put the game on right now. Please, put the game on, put the game on. Like this. And the guy goes, what game? The baseball game? He goes, you know the game, the one that's on right now. Because Logan didn't know what would be on right now. He goes, just put the game on like this. So the guy just starts changing channels until oh, he hits wow. a sports thing or something like that. We both look at each other and go, <sighs> Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and, and we were in a biker bar. And if they would have found out that we were not who we said we were, that could have got a little dangerous. It's fascinating. I, 
like the ability to react in those types of stressful yes. situations. The mind is such a powerful thing. I really want to go into, right, because we, 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 we kind of discussed, obviously, what's important for the families, signs and symptoms, things to look out for. Obviously, you can go in a deep dive on social media and how to look for things. I really want to talk about the cases and what happens afterwards, right? Because obviously we're a mental health podcast right. and we're today is a focus on trauma and PTSD. And I don't care who you are, but if you go through an experience like this, whether it's a close call or it actually happens, the traumatic effects of it are lifelong. Yeah. What are, because you know, in our specialties, that's the type of clients that we work with. What have you seen and what do you find helpful to victims of this, of this sort? Uh, and accessing care and help and um, and what do they need and what can parents kind of give those their loved ones in those types of situations? Well, what parents can give them is love. I mean, that's the, the very first thing is don't judge them. Whatever it is that they've gone through, mm -hmm. they're already embarrassed about it. Mm -hmm. So give them love. The other thing is, is that, and as you mentioned in the introduction, one of the companies that I used to have uh, was Westfield Adolescent Services. In fact, I don't know, we even talked about it. My oldest son has uh, bought me out of that company. Wow. Um, Congratulations. But what that one does is it does the crisis intervention and adolescent transport to specialized mm. programs. Mm. And what has happened, because there's more and more people that are being rescued out of these human trafficking situations, there are programs now that are focused on dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And so they have, in some cases, they have people who have gone through it themselves mm. that have now gone through um, plenty of therapy to the point that they now feel that they can help somebody else. Another young person who has just come out of this and is trying to trying to make sense of it all and trying to figure out how do I deal with my parents? How do I deal with friends? You know that now look at me differently. Mm. Um, so that what I'm saying is that there are some really great programs out there uh, that can help them. I was thinking about this the other day. I think we all love. Mm -hmm. I think our expression of love is what matters yes and i think we all have different love languages mm. and i think it's really easy for a parent to go what oh i love my kid of course i love my kid my kid knows that how do you express that though because again if you're that father who the way you express your love is to provide mm -hmm. well your kid will lack that emotional intimacy with you and that and that's harmful so how, what are specific ways that a parent could express their love to a potential victimized child um, or even just a child who is going through a hard time or an adolescent or a teenager, you know, who clients that you've dealt with? Well, I think it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that getting into some form of counseling uh, is going to be the first step because they're going to find out because there are there are going to be some young people and we know that when we're recovering them they don't want to be touched mm. so so you don't want to give them a hug mm. now there are other young people that run up and hug you and, and again I was thinking of a, a, a young person that I had taken to a program in Utah and he wasn't happy <laughs> that I had done that he wanted to go home but the therapists and the everybody involved felt that he really needed to go somewhere else before he went home and one of the issues that he had had was being touched mm -hmm. and so when I was bringing someone else to that same program I looked over and this young man started running towards me and I, let me back up when I dropped him off and I would say this to every young person 
thank you so much for showing me the respect that you have. May I shake your hand or give you a hug? But I'm always asking. I'm sure. not just, you know, this, this, you know, give me a hug. Okay, you don't know what everything they've just gone through. So right. don't, don't try to direct in that way. But in this case, I had said that and he didn't want to be touched at that time. Mm. Well, as he's running towards me, I'm thinking, is he going to hit me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what's going on? He walks up, he stops right in front of me. He says, may I give you a hug? Wow. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. And, and I realized that the, what he had, and he'd probably been there a couple of months, you know, and what he had learned that was now setting him up to be able to go back to his own home, his own environment, and be able to respond like he's supposed to as a young person. Mm. So I don't know if that answers the question, but... Absolutely. No, 100%. Well, it's about finding out what your love language is in that moment. Yes. Right? A very good friend of mine is no longer with us, Mr. Bill Lane, uh, was in this space for a very, very long time. Um, there's different approaches to getting a loved one into treatment, into care, right? Yes. I read on, on one of your bios that you take a more therapeutic and loving approach, yes. you know, because there are the approaches where throw them in the black van, put a duffel bag over their head, and I call it the Russian approach. Um, <laughs> and I can say it, I'm Ukrainian. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of approaches to it, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. I appreciate that in your sense. Why do you feel that that's the most effective way? Because I, I and before you give that answer, I recently just had a case where the mom got to a point where she was calling the cops constantly on her son. The son just didn't listen to her. He was fighting her constantly and she just didn't know what to do. Uh, and she was this close to just call. She asked me, do you have a company that can just come in in the middle of the night and take them? Why would you contradict that form of, 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 of let's say placement and process, like it, coming from a therapeutic standpoint and a loving place? How would I contradict that? I don't know that I, I might not contradict it. In other mm. words, I would find out who who are the professionals that they've been working with. Mm. You know, is there an educational consultant involved? Is there a psychiatrist, a psychologist? Let me talk with them and see what what this this young person is going through first mm. before we before we pick them up in the middle of the night or anything else mm. and, and find out what is what is best. Uh, and then even at that point in time, maybe that is the best thing. Because one of the things that, that we would say, and this may be the situation, because I don't know the mom in that situation. Sure, of course, yeah. But you, we get young people that'll say, you don't understand. You're taking the wrong person. I come from a dysfunctional family. And then they'll start telling me everything that's wrong with their parents. Mm. And I go, that's the beauty of the program you're going to. I go, you won't have to deal with that. They will approach you from a loving place and help you learn to deal with people that might be a little more difficult to deal with, if that's the case. And we always finish it with, if, if that's the case. Because it doesn't mean we're buying into what they're saying. Sure. But if that is the case, then this is even more reason why you can go here and get some help. I was 16 when my parents did an intervention on me and sent me to a treatment center. I did not need a transport company to come in. My treatment center was 15 minutes from my house. It felt like the longest ride of my life going from my dad's house to the treatment center and found out it was like 20 minutes away. But why does someone need someone to come over in the middle of the night to get their kid? At what point does someone need to utilize that type of service? It's usually when the parents have not communicated so much with their child that the child just just wouldn't go. 
Another one is, is many of these cases, the child is living in a single parent family. Mm. So the parent's working all the time. Mm. Uh, it could be that the child is a chronic runaway. So that every time the parent says, you know, things just aren't working out. We may have to do something different. They're gone. And what's interesting is I think someone could look at that teenager and say, well, that's a troubled kid. Yes. I would never look at a, a human and go, that person's troubled. I would say that person is deeply hurting. Or at risk. Or at risk. Interesting. Can, yeah. you, can you go into that? No, that's exactly because the, the, the terms that you're using, we use they're at risk. If they run away and they end up in a homeless encampment, they're at risk of things far worse than the problems they're having at home. What do you do in a situation where the family hires you, right? Mm -hmm. And the child, you approach the child, and the child or the adolescent or young adult tells you, I'm afraid or uncomfortable with my parents. And they potentially can be the predators or the perpetrators. How do you react in situations like that? What, like, what's your process look like? It's a great question. Yes, and if we're talking about if we're in a transport situation, Again, it is we're absolutely going to say the same thing. Well, then this is great. You going here is going to help you by getting you out of sure. that. We're also mandatory reporters, and we are reporting to that program when we take that child. And I've had situations where we've had a male and female team. Where I've been the male in that situation, and we've transported females that have said, you know, uh, my stepdad was molesting me, and my mother will not accept it when I tell her. Mm. Wow. And so we have reported to the program, you know, that this is, you know, that this is what has been shared with us so that it will then be investigated. It, you know, sometimes they're not telling the truth, but on the possibility that they are telling the truth, sure. we are going to open an investigation in that situation. Have you seen a difference in ratio between male and female clients that you have? Like, is there more male or female on, that um, you work with? Yes. And when I started doing this, which is now over 40 years ago, it was about 80% males that we were dealing with. Wow. Um, because we now have equal rights for everything, it's now about 50-50. What do you mean by equal rights? Like, How, did, how does that shifted? the these types of cases it's from the standpoint of females were just more sheltered because i'm going back 40 years sure and so you didn't have as many females that were acting out or that were um experimenting with drugs things like that you didn't mm. have as much of that mm. and i'm not saying it means that we shouldn't have equal rights that isn't the point i'm saying that that as things have changed as society has changed mm. we now have that we have a an equal amount of young people that are at risk. Also, do you think that things are more accessible and more visible? Mm -hmm. Yes. And you're able to see more. Just go on Google, go on the internet, and anything you want exactly. is accessible. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I think it's uh, it, it's scary. And I to speak to that, I feel like for, for parents, there needs to be monitoring. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say yeah. that there needs to be more monitoring on technology? And also, that's tough with teenagers. Mm. I mean, I have so many te teenagers I know where their source of communication connection is through their cell phones, is through their social media. And to take that away from them, it's like taking away their arm. It's a great point that you bring up. Yeah. And is 
because there are parents that will contact us as investigators and, you know, okay, can you set up some covert things on their equipment? And what I tell them is, don't do it covertly, do it overtly. Mm. Tell them, Mm. this is what I'm doing. And the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm having tracking on your phone is because I love you so much that I don't want anything to happen to you. I love that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. That is so powerful. It's like, you know, it's as if we do a podcast together. You definitely read my mind. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. Because parents are these days are thinking like, how do I, how am I going to control what my child is doing online when, like you said, there's the, the phone, the social media, thanks to Dr. Don Grant and our podcast with him, it's their second arm mm-hmm. or third arm, right? And so it's like, wh- how, do, how can parents monitor in, in, a, in an open and loving way? And the fact that you said that is being transparent and honest. Exactly. You know, it's with part the of child. communication. Yeah, I, I think it's part of the communication as well as a parent's ability to set and hold the boundary and learn how to sit through their child or teenager's tantrum mm-hmm. because that is, I think, where a lot of parents go wrong in a sense. I hate even saying that because I hate the wrong word because we already shame ourselves enough as parents, mm-hmm. but your kid's going to be angry. Let yeah. them be angry yeah. and still hold the line. I love you. I'm doing this because I love you. It's okay yeah. to be angry. Teach them how to deal with the anger in constructive ways so that they don't think that in order for me to deal with my anger, I have to go hurt somebody or act yeah. out with violence. Mm-hmm. And I think you can set the groundwork for that when they're children. Yes. When they're toddlers, learning about frustration tolerance, learning about, um, you know, I'm different than you. My impact on you is this. And I'm sad that you didn't get me a Power Rangers toy. Oh, so the parent wants to immediately go get them the Power Rangers toy because they don't want their son to be (laughs) upset. No, let them feel disappointed. So they have a relationship to disappointment that's good. That's life. We're going to be disappointed. Exactly. Do you feel that we're in a culture now where it is shifting towards open line of communication? I think that we are. And I think that as we come out of COVID, I think there was a lot of kids that were now home Mm -hmm. with their parents because during that time we were getting a lot more calls. Right. You know, because now parents were seeing exactly what was going on with their child. Right. And and I think that we're getting more communication just by the fact that they had to, you know. And so, uh, and, yeah. and, and with many of the conferences that I go to that involve uh, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists and stuff, there's a big push for that of just saying, you know, don't get to the point to where you need us, you know, just focus on that communication ahead of time and odds are you won't need us. It's really exciting because I mean I grew up in a household where nobody really talked about their feelings or anything like that, and you know, yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm talking about it so much. Um, You know, so I I I agree with you. I think it is shifting because for hundreds of years, suck it up and go to war, right? And so I think, and 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 the people that ridicule or shame others for being open and transparent and having communication, I think. That's slowly dwindling down because the voices are being heard more and more. And I think you can create better change with that. I feel like we have to because of what's around us and and the evolution of the Internet and the evolution of access to information, evolution of equal rights, and which are all beautiful things. 
we have to. We don't have a choice at this point. I couldn't agree more. And, and yeah. But it goes right to what you're saying. And if to tell parents, if you don't communicate with your child, that person on the Internet or that person that's out there selling drugs or whatever, they will. Right. That's very, very good point. If anybody takes anything out of this, this episode, I honestly think it's communicating and communicating openly and honestly. It's the number one key to prevent or help prevent a lot of this from happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, one last tip I'll say around that is, um, I, Dr. Mark Goulston, who we're going to have on a future episode, I learned from him one of the best strategies to communicate with your child slash teenager is not to make eye contact with them, but to have them in the car. And when they're in the car, (laughs) ask them questions while you're in the car with them and you're not having direct communication because direct eye communication or what not eye language yeah (laughs) it takes away the intimacy and i think intimacy can be like super intense sometimes and so for whatever reason you know you put on a song right and you talk to the mother in the car and they open up i tried it with my kid i did that a lot with clients and for some reason my favorite time with clients the building the rapport was in the car listening to music not looking at each other it's very interesting i mean as you were explaining it i started thinking about it it makes a lot of sense it does a hundred percent I, I, I find that just in my personal experience with, with my with my daughter, our best times of communication is when she's taking a bath mm. and we're just and she's playing around and I'm just like, so how was your day? And like, what'd you do? And like, she's very transparent, whereas compared to when I would sit down with her and I was just like, well, so what'd you do today? Like, how? she's like, no, 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 I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about it. So it's like when it's playful and it's fun and it's not like demanding you get the information mm. is usually mm-hmm. when you get the most out of it, right? That's so yeah. interesting and true. Our kids are doing the exact same thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my kid, my son is doing the same thing. He's like, no, I don't want to talk about that right now. Yeah, right, right, right. That's well, Alan, I so appreciate your time that you took to come onto this show. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I feel like you've helped so many families today, including myself, so thank you. And you are a true warrior and angel walking this earth, what yes. you've done for people and children and, and families. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you. We, we do have one final question. We okay. typically ask most of our guests. All right. If you can take Alan 15 years back, what would the Alan of today tell the Alan of 15 years ago? Don't work so hard and spend more time with your kids. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, which, which is, you know, if you think like the age of mine, this is probably advice that I'm now sharing with you because sure. you're at that stage. Both of you are at that stage right. where, and it kind of goes to what you were saying earlier about, you know, I was, I was raised in that thing of, you know, the way in which you, um, you show that you're a male and you're doing your job is, is how you provide. Right. Now, I don't think that I'm one that went that far overboard because I was a room dad and things like that, that I was the first room dad in our school. So mm. it, was, it was new then. But uh, that would be the thing is, is that just to, it goes by so fast. Mm. It feels like I blinked and, you know, another two years went by. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as they get older, it goes faster. I faster. know. I hate it. I yeah. really hate it. Uh, well, thank you, Alan. So you it, mean a lot to me. I really appreciate this. You're so welcome. And but you. now you guys need to come on my show absolutely. so we can, we, we can continue this conversation. Well, yeah, I definitely right. want to talk about homelessness because that's yes. a huge topic. I know you're really passionate about yes. that. So am I, especially with we, we live in you know Los Angeles where it's 
I mean, it's, it's everywhere and it's unfortunate and there's so many levels to it. Uh, so I'd love to come on your show and unpack that if you have us, of course. Oh, I would love it. So, uh, Alan, if people have more questions and want to learn more about this subject, what, how can they reach you, contact you? What can they do? Probably the best thing to do would be to email me, and that would be at acardoza at conflictinternational.com. And if you have anything that's urgent, if somebody, if you see something and you want to report it or you want to talk to somebody about something, now that I'm with conflict, if you go to the website, it's just conflictinternational.com. We've got 24-hour duty agents, so there are... You know, there's a little chat thing that pops up that says, you know, I mean, if this is urgent, if you need somebody, they can put you together with someone anywhere in the world. Fascinating. That's wow. a great plug. Appreciate All right. that. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Alan. Appreciate right. you coming on. And thank you, everyone who is listening to our wonderful Got Mental Health podcast. Uh, please show your support by leaving us a review and rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And thank you, everyone, for your wonderful feedback and all your lovely comments on social media. We see them, and I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs>